complicated and fascinating world that invites us to dive deep into its intricacies. Exploring the ideas and events that excite, intrigue, irritate, and confound us is how we graduate our knowledge beyond meme culture. Join us over a cocktail as we expand our understanding and share in the beauty we find along the way. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And I'm Stephen Henning. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. Hello, friends. How are you? How are you two doing this evening? Doing well. I got the I got the juice, man. I was singing Hamilton to myself while I was waiting for you guys to get on the call. <laughs> this is the this is the energy I have today. So we'll see if I can dial it back a little. Well, that's good. What's what's your favorite song from Hamilton? Oh, um, my shot is always a really satisfying one to to sing through, just because there's so many words to it. Okay. My wife and I just recently learned the. Uh, the super fast rap in the song called Guns and Ships. I'm pretty sure I liked that song. Yeah, that that it was kind of a the, it was kind of it's, a it's a, a really thumper. quick rap right before the the Battle of Yorktown scene and that whole epic song. But yeah, it's like once you learn the fastest rap to the show, everything else feels slow. So we figured we should learn that one and then then work on the rest of the show. So. Okay, that's in Act One, correct? Yes, yeah, nice. that's Act One. Act One is a lot more hype in that show. Act Two gets like very down, very right. sad. So, and that's the song where Lafayette is funny and yeah, does his yep. little jabs and stuff. I remember that. That was that was decent. Absolutely, you got it. Cat, have you seen it yet? No, I have not. <laughs> oh. Oh. Maybe we'll do you a movie me. night or something, and we'll watch Hamilton so we can there we go connect at a deeper level with Henning. There we go. That sounds good. <laughs> we can we can do a uh oh, oh like a watching party over Discord. Ooh. Oh yes. That's we all react great. together. That's <laughs> perfect. Bonus podcast episode is the Hamilton viewing party. All right, then we'll do a nice benchy reviews. Hamilton. Mm, there you go. Ooh. There it is. I'm that sure that would be that incentive that a lot. for me. That would be probably our most popular episode. We would get all the Hamilton fans would be flocking mm-hmm. to Absolutely. listen. Absolutely, absolutely, they would. Cat no, doesn't have time to watch Hamilton because she's too busy working for a company getting awards. She's oh, winning right? fancy black tie <laughs> gala awards. So I'm just gonna throw you under the Jeez. bus and make you talk about it. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Do it. Well, Perk is who I work for, the Property and Environment Research Center. We are a conservation nonprofit based in Bozeman, Montana, where I live, obviously. We are up for the Templeton Freedom Award, which is presented by the Atlas Network, which is basically a big foundation that funds a lot of different um, liberty-oriented think tanks around the world. So we're up against a handful six in total so five other groups i believe we are one of two organizations nominated from the u.s um and we are the only one nominated mm. for environmental work so wow that's exciting so cool we'll see that either could be sort of a huge benefit for us or it could be a downfall spotlight well it might be it might be hard to win you know for endangered species conservation work when you're up against people who are like improving desperately poor women in indonesia's lives so you know it's kind of which one's more compelling but anyway we'll see so tomorrow afternoon or evening it's it's compelling 
enough to be part of the party, though. That's true. Yeah. I mean, we're just we're proud to be one of six for sure. You caught someone's attention well enough to even be there. So that's right. Don't discount this. Yeah. No, no, no. We're we're excited and we're you know, we'll celebrate whether we win or lose. Being nominated was a big deal. So we're having a virtual black tie. We're told to dress nice above the, <laughs> the waist, waist, literally. <laughs> we have one bottle of champagne that we're going to pop, yeah. and then the rest of it's pizza and beer. So should be good. That is so oh, there you go. That sounds like a blast. <laughs> It'll be a good time. That really does. I think I'm the, I'm the kind of personality who would much prefer a pizza and beer hang over like a stuffy black tie for an entire evening. So I, it sounds like you're getting the best of both deals. Yeah, I think so. It should be a good time. So, Torna, what are we? Uh, what are we drinking tonight? Right. So, tonight we are going to continue our talk uh, about personal development, focusing on, I think, minimalism this evening. So, I wanted to pick a drink that is very simple. And doing a little research, I found a two-ingredient cocktail. Ooh, I like it. So tonight we are drinking a pink gin. It is two ounces of gin, six dashes of aromatic bitters, Angostura, stirred over ice, throw it in a chilled coupe, and throw lemon peel in there. And it's so incredibly delicious. Mm. It's fantastic. I just had my first sip. It's straight alcohol. If you like gin, it's beautiful, yeah. (laughs) And and a little bit of the lemon uh, brings out some of the flavors in the gin. The aromatic bitters enhance everything. Yeah. It's ice cold. It has a really nice nose. Yes. Smells amazing. Mm. And so does the lemon count as an ingredient or does uh, it not? Because it's not a fluid. It's not a liquid. So some people claim that it's best served with a lemon twist and you squeeze the lemon peel and, and express the essential oils in it. I decided to do that because I love lemon oil and right. lemon in all my cocktails. But traditionally, this was a drink that was brought into popularity by the Royal Navy in the 1800s, which kind of is also fitting, uh, not deliberately so. Uh, today's Veterans Day when we're recording. Mm-hmm. So side segment, happy Veterans Day to all of the vets. Uh, my brother, my good fr- uh, friend Garrett, they're both vets. My dad's a vet, and uh, I'm sure we all know at least a couple veterans, so... Cheers to you, ladies and gentlemen. Cheers. Absolutely. We appreciate you. But the Navy drank a lot of gin, the English Navy, the British Navy specifically. And the British in general. Well, right. The British in general, <laughs> they love their gin. <laughs> but, you know, similar to any of that time period, water didn't keep well. Liquor was a safe bet. Bitters at that time were more medicinal than recreational. So, the aromatic bitters were often prescribed as a solution for seasickness or things like uh, indigestion and so on. So they would mix mm. the bitters with the gin because it was pretty much all they had to drink and then it had a medicinal value to it. So mm. pretty much the drink in its natural habitat on a ship in the 1800s probably wouldn't have any lemon peel in it. Just, you know, citrus wasn't <laughs> Fair enough, particularly yeah. available. But gin and bitters were plentiful because it's so simple i thought it fit great with the minimalism topic this evening fantastic i love it i have a quick question fire away can you order this at most bars proper bars of course not a dive bar but 
is it common enough that a you think an average bartender would know what it was? I don't think so. Mm. Digging through my books, I have made this once before, and I remember liking it. But I would say it's probably not technically a classic cocktail, so I, I think it would be unusual for someone to know what that is. Mm. I can't mm. say for certain. Depends where you're at. I would trust a few people in Bozeman to know. That's about <laughs> it. It's a shame because it's so tasty. I would yes. like to make it a staple of mine. But <laughs> but the nice thing about this is it's so simple is you could just request. Sure. Hey, I want a pink gin. It's just gin and bitters. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. It's very easy to explain the recipe from across the bar in that moment. <laughs> yeah, it's very Wait, good. Don't mess this up. So is a Negroni, but people screw that up all the well, time. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, anyway. You know what you can't you know what you can't screw up. As long as it's behind the counter, a sixteen year old Lagavulin neat. <laughs> you cannot mess this up. Every day. Um, the perfect drink. <laughs> the only mistake you could possibly make with this delicious beverage is not pouring enough. <laughs> did you get did you get some more? Or are you yes. out tonight? Yeah, I got a fresh bottle. Oh, Here we okay. go. Good, good. Holy I could I couldn't record the whiskey bench without my whiskey. No way. That literally is sacrilegious. We're never gonna get sponsored if this isn't consistent. So. Absolutely. It has to be I mean, to my great shame, episode two, I still drank a beer, but I was traveling. I will yeah, I hold to your, that. Should have brought your flask, but I know. You know. Yeah, this was an oversight for sure. Um, Torna, I was wondering, so Kat with a couple drinks have, or she has remarked on the nose of the drink. What are common things you pay attention to when you're tasting a cocktail for the first time? I I imagine it's a lot like someone who's going to go do a cupping at like a coffee roaster. So you're looking for body, you're looking for finish, mouthfeel, nose, all that, but like... Yeah, what's 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 common practice? Well, cocktails in general, you don't get as much nuance as you would just sipping a spirit straight. Coffee is more in the vein of, I would say, whiskey or gins as far as being able to taste the complexities of it if you just drink it by itself. Same with wine. Mm-hmm. Cocktails, those flavors, the small nuances tend to kind of get blended together. So when I drink a cocktail, especially one that I've never had before, what I'm usually looking for is when I hold it up to my face, I'll sniff and see what kind of oils, uh, herbs, citrus that I might get a scent of. Those Mm. are pretty common, at least for me, as far as what I can pick up. I will take a sip, and the first thing I tend to notice is the mouthfeel. So if it's silky smooth, if it's crisp, if it's frothy, depending if it has uh, an egg white in it or something like that. Oh, whoa. Which we'll have plenty of cocktails with egg whites. Oh, yeah. Fizz, is, that fizzes. A, is that a common? Very common, it actually. It is, yeah. It really shows cool. you how much I know about it. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, generally, it has citrus. So between the citrus, the disruption of the egg white via shaking incorporates air. Uh, so it denatures, oh, it denatures and essentially like creates a foam. So that, that adds texture. If it's something with a lot of fortified wines or liqueurs, it'll be thicker, sweeter usually. It'll have fruits, floral flavors. And then if it's more spirit forward, you're going to get a little bit more of those nuanced tastes. If it's whiskey, you'll get caramels and spice. And if it's gin, you'll get pine and, and maybe some citrus or floral tequila i don't know how you describe tequila 
delicious. I was just going to say delicious. <laughs> mm. Vodka. Meh. Awful. Meh. <laughs> that's, that's my go-to. What about you, Kat? In terms of what I look for? Yeah. Or yeah, I think you described that well. Definitely sort of the scent off right off the bat. I think there's like a layer of experience. So sort of the scent initially, that first sip, sort of, I don't know if this is accurate, but kind of like your initial taste buds, sort of what they're experiencing and then sort of what you experience in the back of your mouth and then also that sort of layering, how it coats your mm. mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, there's kind of like a four yeah. phase acidity. Acidity say. is massive in cocktails as well, depending on yeah, definitely what kind of citrus and whatnot is in it. Thank you for that introduction because it's, it's, I mean, it's obvious that I don't do a lot of cocktail drinking. Well, so for me, it's like I get my favorite whiskey and you get it in the right glass. I like looking at it in the light. Like I like observing the color of the whiskey. And also in addition to everything you've mentioned, especially when you're drinking like a, a liquor straight, especially a whiskey, I pay attention to how it hits my chest because a lot of whiskeys sit differently as it kind of like as it spreads down your throat and into your chest. So that's the only thing I have to contribute here. Right on. That's a good point, though. You and Dixie have to come to Bozeman and we'll do a little cocktail night. This sounds this sounds amazing. Yes, we can watch Hamilton. (laughs) Yes. Well, okay, that would that would be that would be acceptable. Planned on the calendar. I right there, accept. we got it. I feel like I put you on the spot for that because we're recording. It's okay. We'll talk off mic. It's fine. You can say <laughs> no. Oh man, some minimalism. Yes. <laughs> Last week we talked a little bit about habits, some books, uh, routines that we have that we've found to have improved our lives in some way, or we are pursuing those routines in hopes that they will improve our lives. Mm. So we talked at the end uh, or after last episode, and we thought this would be a good week to go ahead and dive into maybe a little primer into minimalism, something I'm deeply interested in. I don't know a lot about. I thought as an addendum to last episode, it might be fun just to quickly go, because Kat and I obviously had quite a few things that we laid out as far as the way we, the way we roll our daily habits and whatnot, I was wondering if you guys, sorry to just kind of like Shanghai your whole introduction to minimalism here, Stephen. I just wanted to get this in quick. I was curious if you guys have tried things on the personal development journey that definitely did not work for you, and that you may have just left behind because you knew it wasn't actually adding value. So the one that I can think of is I know a lot of people get value out of streamlining like their breakfasts and lunch as mm-hmm. far as food prep or having some sort of incredibly consistent meal that they eat. I, for a long time while I was in school and then as I started to work more and more, tried to get into that routine of, okay, I'm going to buy these things have the same breakfast every day, the same lunch every day, make sure I get the nutrients I need, everything like that. And I probably did that for a month, a month and a half. Mm-hmm. And it was awful. Oh no. There oh, is no. something, there is something nice to say about, okay, I always have lunch ready to go, but I love cooking and food and the enjoyment of it enough where having to live with the same breakfast and the same lunch is draining and it gets to the point where i would just be like i'm not gonna eat lunch (laughs) 
So I know a lot okay. of people get a ton of value out of that. That is something that I was unable to make happen. Yeah. Oh, man, that's and me. It sounds like I, for you, the process of cooking is maybe therapeutic on its own. Yeah, I enjoy it. I, I feel that way, too. Right. Like I, I, I like to unwind at the end of the day by cooking a meal and just sort of putting on some music or a podcast and zoning out. So I, I feel you on that. Right. I am not mm. in the mindset where food <laughs> is strictly utilitarian. Wow. I and so that that, I, that idea does way. not mesh. Yeah, I do. I, I do prep though strictly just to keep myself on a tight budget. Fair enough. But otherwise, oh, I, yeah. I get what you're saying. There you go. Food budget. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could live like that. <laughs> I, I'm really glad that there are people like you in the world because uh, I find cooking to be an absolute chore. I have no interest in it. I do not care if I do it well. I am very much into this food prepping style. I haven't done it lately just because COVID has just kind of made everything weird. At least that's that's how the habit got interrupted and I haven't successfully managed to reinstate it. But yeah, I was definitely the like the same breakfast, same lunch kind of person. To me, it definitely is more utilitarian. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where I know what I like to eat. I know the flavors I'm into. I, I look forward to eating the same thing every day. I've, I, I crafted the meals well enough. I actually get very hungry for them, and I actually miss them if I'm off the habit. I'm pretty sure that's a superpower. <laughs> well, it's something. Maybe I just needed so, to prep better lunches. That could be the problem. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so so for me, I find my body feels best, and I actually perform better. I have more energy, and I actually lose weight on something uh, like a very meat-heavy kind of keto-ish diet. Like, I like... Eggs, black beans, mushrooms, and ground sausage for breakfast. And then for lunch, I'll just do two third pound burger patties with half a can of green beans, just with my favorite like grilling seasoning on the burger. And uh, man, it's just, it's what I'm into. And then dinner is usually the, the lighter vegetable. It's like, it's lighter food, but it's vegetable heavy dinner to wind down the day. Man, when I'm, when I'm on the, when I'm in the flow and actually getting that food prep done that's when i feel absolutely the best i respect that the only time that breakfast prep had worked for me is cameron my old roommate and mm. i made probably like 70 breakfast burritos <laughs> gravy that's it was, that's a party it was right awesome there. it was like five dozen eggs we did six pounds of sausage Whoa. we made all these breakfast burritos wrapped yeah. them and froze them Nice. I had a friend who used to do that I too. I love breakfast burritos. Mm -hmm. So I could eat a breakfast burrito every morning. Freezer space is limited this when is you true. live with two other hungry men. And we have two <laughs> freezers and we don't have freezer space. So That's true. So real quick, the things that I've tried to instate in the past and I knew it just wasn't working for me. Um, nightly yoga was one thing I was trying to do in conjunction with like my morning workout at the gym. And honestly, it was just like, it was too much all at once. And I've heard a lot of things about yoga being relaxing, but I found it to be the opposite of that. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and that's probably just because I, I, I'm not doing it right. I haven't been taught or I haven't taught myself correctly. Maybe Kat, you and I can one day have a conversation about how to make this a beneficial thing because... I just, I found it miserable and it just frustrated me before bed. Yeah, I, I'm very interested in, in yoga. 
I haven't done much of it. And my first experience with yoga was traumatizing. No, no. <laughs> so that kind of, you know, was apprehensive since then. There's a story there. Oh, there is. It involves yeah. hot yoga. Oh. Going with my friend oh. who's crazy cheerleader, athlete, yoga master. You've never done yoga? We're going to go do hot yoga. It Destroyed me. It sounds, yeah, it sounds bad. But I'm, I'm an individual that generally can't touch their toes. After no. one hot yoga session, boy, oh boy, could I touch my toes. <laughs> well, there you go. No problem. There you go. It did its the next job. day, relapsed, couldn't touch my toes. Ugh. I find some form of like a breathing, stretching practice, whether it's yoga or some sort of hybrid, where you get, you kind of quiet your mind, you become very present, mm-hmm. and you get very, very in tune with your body. I think that is so important for like your spiritual development, your mental health care, just obviously like physical health care, like all of it. It's it's I find that those I I try to do that most afternoons and for like an hour, maybe two hours. And I find I have the most like breakthroughs on things that I'm stuck on or been thinking about or, you know, whatever. Um. I end up having a lot of mental clarity in those moments. And then That's also great. as a byproduct, like I'm much stronger physically and yeah, I can touch my toes. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if my, so anyway. <laughs> I wonder if my problem was that mine was more of like the workout style yoga than it was calm stretching style yoga. Yeah. There's kind of yoga has been bastardized. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I mean, there is, there's kind of like, especially in Western culture, we've taken yoga and turned it into this vinyasa, like crunch time, like, and it's this stressful thing that's about like, yeah, like losing weight and, you know, whatever. And it's like, Mm. that's so not what (laughs) the practice is supposed to be about at all. And so anyway, yeah, if that, you know, there's definitely plenty, like in, in town, we have, I don't know, half a dozen or more yoga studios just on like Main Street. And I picked mine based on that, just like the title of the classes. And, you know, there mm. were a lot that were like turbo vinyasa. Whoa. And then others that were like oh, mindful. You know? And I was like, mm, I'm going to go for the thing that's maybe a little more like, in tune with like, like mind body one. connection. Yeah. That's yeah. Any, anyway. So, yeah, that makes a what, difference for sure. What about you, Kat? Did you have anything that you've tried in the past that just did not stick, didn't serve you? You know, when you mentioned this earlier, nothing really came to mind. I I will say, though, that I it's funny. I love to write, but not consistently <laughs> or the oh. things I like to write about. It's sort of sure. different, right? Like I want to do creative writing, but then there'll be month long stretches where I don't want to do that at all. And so anyway, mm. I've, I tried journaling like religiously every day mm. and I just don't stick with it at all um, okay here's the thing Kat. Find... we'll trade we'll trade i'll get you to stick to journaling if you get me to stick to yoga <laughs> okay that's i a would good like challenge. To, i would like to journal and do yoga there so if i can be that weird oh. third wheel we of should, yeah. personal Whis- development yeah. here that would be great whiskey yeah. bench challenge we'll just we'll go for like a 30-day streak i will say when uh i look back on my journals they're quite funny because there will be like four or five months in between entries 
Mm. And things will have changed so much <laughs> between them or, nice. or I don't know. I, I mean, I won't go into any, any specific details because I don't want to embarrass myself. But some, I was looking at one the other day and I was cracking up because it was just like the juxtaposition between the two things I had written. Were, it was quite ironic. So I, anyway, I want, I want us all to start journaling. Okay. And okay. in six months. I want us to play Journal Roulette. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. Whoa. This is a game I just made up. Holy shit. Whoa. And we have to at random open a page and we have to read the whole page. What is on that page? That'll be some dark comedy. <laughs> dark comedy. <laughs> that says that makes a lot me about so you uncomfortable. I want to do it. <laughs> okay. I started journaling about a month ago inconsistently and it's incredibly uncomfortable mm. and huh. i don't know how to do it well i what, don't know what what makes it uncomfortable right putting my thoughts into existence is something that i'm not used to now i've done a ton of creative writing and he writing says as he and records a papers. podcast yeah you're sharing you're putting your <laughs> right. thoughts into existence but, but now. generally at least what i want to write when i have been journaling it tends to be more intimate stuff mm. Stuff oh, that, that okay. are, that's stuck, right? And I'm trying to get it out. Mm. Sure. But then putting that down on paper is weird to me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, ooh, should that be there? Kind of a burn after reading kind of deal. I'm well, <laughs> not sure. Yeah, I mean, like, what are, are you? What are you afraid of there? Like that someone in a hundred years is going to read it, or that you're going to read it later? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. Probably me. I, I don't fear those I do not know in the future. <laughs> See, and I, I would argue that there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Like there, are, there are a few people in history where we have an example of like, oh, let's dig into their journals and see what their inner thought life was like. But for the majority of people who have ever existed, it's like no one, no one cares what you write about yourself. Like I consider journaling just a practice of taking notes on yourself and taking notes on the day. Like I, I keep all the journals I've finished. I've finished three moleskin notebooks already. I, I keep them just because I like to see them on the shelf mm -hmm. and be like, man, I filled those with writing from my hands. But maybe I need to be a little more casual with it and just kind of write about, hey, yeah. how was today? What was my thoughts on it? Instead of like diving into the existential crisis in my life right now. Yeah, I and think, think that's one example. If you take a relaxed approach, those other things might yeah. work out more easily. So instead know, of logging about some depressing thing, I yeah. maybe if I journal tonight it should be like hey it was snowy and cold today so i decided not to work i went to lunch and had a beer at 11 o'clock <laughs> i then came home and worked on whiskey bench right and then now i'm drinking another cocktail it was a good day it was a and good hanging day out with your friends yeah yeah okay all that's true this is a true story <laughs> get after it be ready for the roulette in six months i guess oh geez <laughs> that makes me nervous oh no <laughs> We're all okay. going to totally change our habits of what like we every, write about now. <laughs> every log is going to be just a beautiful work of oh, literature. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's one of those things. It's like, I keep the notebooks, but I never intend to revisit them. And I really like, if they're, if like they'll, if they exist when I pass away and I, I have family going on beyond me, like I, I would have no expectation of them being like, Wow. Granddad was such a great guy. We should read his journals. Like, I, I don't think I'm that important, but I think taking notes on my day and being able to, like, track my progress is important, if that makes sense. So, like, it just, 
having the journals stacked up and just watching the progress through the pages, it's like, yeah, you're doing something healthy for yourself. You're, you're putting thoughts out there that otherwise would have been trapped and just like created a whirlpool in your head. So that's my thing. Very cool. Well, that's encouraging. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do this. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook.com slash WhiskeyBenchPod for Android users. There you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review to help others find the show. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. I'm ready to talk about minimalism, and I just, can we just start with what what is so intriguing to you, Torna? What is what attracts you to minimalism as a concept? What attracts me to it right now is if we can hop back to what Kat just mentioned a minute ago about why she likes yoga or one of the reasons is being able to sit and relax, calm your mind. I'm a very cluttered person Mm. and the clutter in my life makes it very difficult for me to focus on something else. I would have to, I mean, going to a yoga studio is a good option, I suppose, because they create an environment that's, pretty minimalist yeah not a lot of distractions yeah but i can't make that happen in my house to me right now this is a disaster our surroundings go <laughs> a disaster well that's that's a bait right that there bad. now i have to ask right cat to kind of describe what she's seeing <laughs> <laughs> nothing too i don't intimate, think it's bad at all yeah you have a couple desks you got a bookshelf you have some happy plants you have some homemade soundproof Soundproofing, yeah. Panels, mm-hmm. you have a fake bed on the ground. Yeah, a tiny, <laughs> tiny ass bed. I don't yeah. think it's too bad at all. You got a gun in the corner. I do. <laughs> and what looks like the beginning of another table? That's a desk. That's a desk. Okay. Which I think is going to end couple up chairs being over here. All right. I'm, I'm trying to get rid of stuff. You do have Multi- a lot of these little figurines. Those are cluttered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So stuff like that, right? Like, let's get rid of this. Get rid of that. I could help you purge. I'm very good at purging. Oh. Purge. <laughs> let's do a purge. That's- let's 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 talk about that, Cat. What is your what's your purge process like? Well, I can <laughs> I can be very um, cold when I need to be, and so I can just sort of like turn off emotions and be like, "This is no utility whatsoever. Yeah. I don't care if it has sentimental value." Like, when what am I going to do? Reread this card? No, throw it away. Like, mm. oh, I've never I, had issues I hate with that. that kind I, of I hate clutter. cards and things like that. That's okay, fine. Yeah. To my loved ones, I have a few in a box, but largely I throw them away. <laughs> but um, yeah, I hate clutter. I think because I won't, you know, whatever. I won't go into all the details of it. But like growing up in one of my homes, it was very, very messy and unorganized, and there were just the whole rooms you didn't go into. And I think that like bred me to be quite the opposite and so i i hate having closets that aren't organized i hate having messes underneath beds like i just like things to be sort of orderly and clean and i also like things to have to serve a purpose i like them to be aesthetically pleasing but i like them to also have practical utility mm-hmm. mm. so those are my goals when i'm building my home everything's good looking but practical right <laughs> and that's that's kind of where I'm at because I'm in this. I've made leaps and bounds as far as being more organized, keeping things clean. 
I had mentioned this podcast has been great because my room is the studio and I work in here a lot. So it's nice. The plants have been great, but I definitely I'm ready to just I need to get rid of stuff. Oh. I hate stuff. <laughs> oh, this this excites me so much. I'm so excited for you, Torna. Yeah. So when you and I started talking about this, um, I recommended that you watch a Netflix documentary by conveniently enough, the two guys who have branded themselves the as minimalists. the minimalists. So the documentary is Min- Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. And I was wondering if you had any like particular scenes or particular points that the, the, the film made that were extra compelling to you or that stuck out to you. And actually, Kat, did you watch it too? I mentioned it to you as well. Oh, yeah. I watched it and I have some thoughts. Oh, well, okay. Let's, this is the yeah. time to get into it. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, by the way, I just turned into like interviewer mode and now I'm just asking you guys all these questions but (laughs) this is great because I know that you have implemented at least some minimalism in your life yes and I have none right so you right now unless I'm mistaken on Kat's minimalist experience you're the uh the local expert here okay so I'll take the badge I watched the pod or not the podcast I watched the documentary the night that you recommended it wow that's almost an honor in itself. Like you, you take a recommendation of mine that seriously. Thank you for that. That makes me feel good. Well, thank you for recommending it. I enjoyed it well enough. I've, I've found more value in listening to other interviews that they have done. Oh, on their podcast. I honestly thought, yeah, I honestly thought that the documentary was kind of lackluster huh. as far as actually giving you, like showing you what minimalism is. It was really just feel good stories about people that were unhappy saying minimalism helped me become happier with no really prescription or call to action to what they were preaching. Hmm. Okay. So that, that's how I perceived it when I watched it. Sure. Even though I know beyond that more about minimalism, watching other interviews and listening to people. That makes sense. Cat, your hot takes. Hmm. <laughs> well, I agree with Torna that it was a bit, I felt like it was a bit disjointed in the way they presented the ideas. And I think they ended up some of the people that they deferred to to kind of tell the story of what minimalism did for them in their lives. I uh, was bothered by, honestly, there was one guy who moved into a tiny house and he Mm. talked about how sort of scaling back his possessions and addressing debt and that sort of thing made him feel freer because he didn't have to work as much and he could sort of do as he pleases every day because he didn't have as much overhead costs and all this stuff. Mm. And I thought the idea that you can spend your day as you you see fit, that just really bothered me because Mm. there's a not everyone has the luxury to do that. And that guy is able to do that because thousands, millions of other people don't do that. And make sure that he has running water, make sure he has electricity, he has toilet paper, he has food stocked on the shelf when he goes to the grocery store. So I just found, I don't know, I, that whole storyline just made me think like it almost presented minimalism as something that's really only accessible to the privileged few and not mm. to the average like general masses. I would mm. see that. Yeah, I yeah. can see that for sure. And the biggest reason I'm very interested in minimalism is because I think it will be a really good way for me to become more productive, more focused on my work, get more done, lower my lower my expenses, but help me make more money. Like that's my right. my goal, right? Instead of like I'm minimalist because I hate to work. 
And so the only way to live that lifestyle <laughs> is to be minimalist because I stuff. can't afford yeah. it otherwise. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. And like a lot of the storylines were like that. And like the the guy who was super successful doing whatever he was doing on Wall Street mm-hmm. and then decided he hated it all and it was empty and meaningless. And I don't know what he did after that, but he has long hair now and is minimalist. <laughs> and, right. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. It just felt very cliche. <laughs> and I also sort of thought like the way they presented that kind of it almost devalued productive people, mm-hmm. you know, and uh. and like, yeah, I think Walmart's like, I don't like going to Walmart. I don't shop at Walmart. And I think Black Friday sales are bizarre and awful and I've avoided them my entire life. But big chain stores provide people with lots of jobs and like decent paying jobs with benefits packages. And like, you know, I mean, there are things people have to do to survive. And mm-hmm. I think I, I, my, my biggest takeaway from the film was that I feel like in the West and especially in America, we've reached a level of privilege where we have the luxury to disdain the wealth and the comforts that we've created. And I honestly gave me like Hemingway expat vibes. And I've always found those types to be such like petulant asses, frankly. Okay. All right. I mean, I had some very strong feelings after watching this. Okay. Wow. Um, So anyways, so, and that's not to say like, I don't like clutter, but I just, I felt like the whole thing was kind of like, yeah, like disjointed. Like it, it feels like maybe there's a couple different like strains of minimalism or paths you can take Mm. and that movie kind of mixed them all up and i didn't feel like there was a very clear message i would agree with that anyway (laughs) i did think there were a couple good elements of it i think one of the it was just a little anecdote but he made a good point and that was i think more what i was hoping the documentary was going to illustrate was how to implement it in your life and and he, he just told a little story about someone that wanted to be a minimalist but said they had a beautiful library collection and they loved their books and they didn't want to get rid of their books because they loved, you know, give them out to friends and exchange. And, and I don't remember which one it was. One of the the guys of the minimalist was like, I, I told them that that's okay. You should keep your books because you, they have great value to you and, mm-hmm. and they bring joy to your life. I think that's important because there was the one guy that's like, I live out of a backpack and I own seven things. Right. And I'm like, and he takes pictures of himself or his blog. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, yeah. what value are you adding to the world? Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, <laughs> a little bit like, okay, you're kind of selfish, I guess. Right. Hmm. This is good. I, I'm, I'm going to be totally honest. You obviously honest. had a very different experience with it. So I want to hear. I had a complete, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I was curious before I go on though, Kat, was there anything beneficial that you heard from it or anything that, you were vaguely familiar of that was clarified for you or is it just like a net negative for you? (laughs) No, it's not net negative. I mean, I, I, again, I mean, I think I had maybe been applying some of these principles to my life without really having a, a name for it. And I definitely, I love the idea of sort of only keeping things that bring value to your life. I think that's a good sort of yardstick to use when you're determining sort of like what to keep and what to get rid of, what mm, to buy mm-hmm. in the first place. Yeah. I think what bothered me more was just like what seemed to be a broader critique of sort of modern civilization, yeah. capitalism. Sure. Consumerism. Yeah. Which, I mean, mindless consumerism is awful and vapid, of course. But right. but I think there's sort of other layers to that whole story yeah. that weren't told. And it felt they overdid it of, on one pressure point that 
it, it like they had a lot of blind spots you feel yeah okay yeah. So i think yeah. cool. something i really wanted them to focus on because this is one of the reasons why i was drawn to it and i'm interested in it is making sure that your materialism or purchases are coming from a position of i'm gonna make this purchase because i want it not because i'm looking for validation from other people mm, mm-hmm. and i think that's an important distinction oh yeah yeah absolutely. the world is incredible technology is incredible there's so many great things things are great you should be able to enjoy them but you need to make sure that you're doing that from the right mindset i suppose because it is true a lot of people buy a house they can't afford buy a car they can't afford buy clothes they can't afford for sure simply as a status symbol things like that and that's something that i don't want to get sucked into even though i am deeply capitalistic and i love all of that world like the fact that gucci can make a belt and everyone wants it i think that's so stupid but at (laughs) the exact same time incredible (laughs) so yeah okay I, another thing that I found to be sort of interesting, especially with I'm forgetting which minimalist this was, but the blonde of the two gentlemen that sort of yeah. told the main story, they um he talked about how um he lost his mother tragically and mm. um and ended up getting divorced all in the same mm-hmm. month, and it felt like he was sort of obviously at a very low point in his life and was kind of searching for meaning, mm. perhaps. Mm-hmm. And I found it interesting kind of stepping back even beyond sort of just focusing on minimalism, but just this idea that like humans want to find something outside of themselves and outside of this world that can add structure and meaning to their life. And I thought it was interesting that this almost seemed to be like take the place of what religion, the role religion would play in someone's life. Like this mm. kind of has turned into this like doctrine that they follow. Yeah. That yeah. That gives them meaning and purpose and this knowledge that maybe other people don't have and they're enlightened because of it and they feel sort of like saved almost because right. they uncluttered their house. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's kind of, I don't mean to be mocking it like that, but right. but it's it's interesting just that man looks for that instinctively, right? I, I agree with that 100%. And you can see that it in just like you would see in any world religion. You have the religious zealots mm-hmm. or the extremists. And so you have the people that say, you know what? My life's a little bit of a mess. Implementing some minimalism would really help streamline things. Mm. You know, give me headspace to think clear, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And then you have people that kind of get addicted to it or go to the extremes. And then you have the guy that has 14 items. Yeah. And <laughs> at what point is it like, well, did you go too far? Right. Mm. Are you now a burden you to cons- people? Like I don't think I <laughs> like, don't think minimalism is supposed to be all consuming. I think mm-hmm. the point is it's supposed to help you have more clarity, be more productive. And it's counterproductive to be obsessed well, with yeah. minimalism. Yeah. And what what it does mm-hmm. is it allows you to make room for what matters most to you. So I guess the way I've I've applied this whole uh, attitude, philosophy, however you want to call it, is like, and and especially the way they talk about it is like minimalism shouldn't be an actual value of yours. It should merely be a tool to help reveal to you mm-hmm. what your values are. Bingo. Okay. Um. Yep. So I. You don't want to tip that scale too far. Correct. Yeah. And I. So, right. as far as the film goes, I think that. Like I shared it with you guys because I found it as a really good 
introduction to the why behind minimalism. I suppose I like I haven't seen it in a while, but I suppose I I should have given some warning that there's not a lot of how to in it. And they've actually structured the way they they wrote their books in the order they did. They have a book called Everything That Remains that is like telling their actual story about growing up in big corporate world in their 20s and deciding to leave that behind based on the the values that they found when they were beginning the journey. So the movie is definitely more of a why type thing. And I think I just I just wonder if maybe maybe you two I mean first of all a hundred percent valid critiques that I did not see myself when I first saw it but I think at the same time it's like I didn't see it because the film was as the film was exactly the catalyst I needed for me to get off my ass and actually do something about the huge amount of things that were cluttering my life at the time. So Torna, I've been in your room. Like you you have never reached the level that my wife and I reached within our first year or two of marriage when we found minimalism and found it so beneficial. And Kat, it sounds like you you have a dialed in system to you already in tune and aware of the values you hold and you already know how to build a uh physical and a material life around that to contribute to those values. So I think it's possible that the film was probably just not made for you, but that is not discounting the critiques you have of maybe some of the ways they poked a pressure point here or there and then just focused all their energy on that and ignored the, you know, like you said, the the value of some of these corporations provide a lot of good jobs for people who who would otherwise very much struggle to find find a job for themselves. So this is very good. Right. And I and I have to realize that those two individuals, the minimalist guys, wish I knew their names. Jo- <laughs> Joshua <laughs> Fields Milburn is the blonde that Cat was okay. just mentioning, Gosh. and then Ryan Nicodemus is the long hair hippie guy. Nicodemus, on the right? Okay, so Ryan, Ryan, and and uh, Josh and Ryan. Yep. Yep. Josh and Ryan, they are businessmen. Yes, absolutely. So I think that this. This is a very short documentary. It's like an hour and a half. I think it, it. I should have maybe realized and view it through the lens of this is what you were saying. It's it's to pique people's interest. Yeah. Yeah. And direct them to their podcast to sell books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's a lot more useful. Yeah. Productive information in their books. Yeah. And that's always the case. An hour and a half documentary versus multiple books. Sure. Hundreds of podcast episodes. So, which yeah. What I've listened to so far are phenomenal. I think that's part of why when I felt like they were critiquing, and maybe I'm too sensitive to these things because of (laughs) what I've studied and what I care about, but when I felt like they were critiquing like free markets and capitalism and the system that we sort of live under, I... Like, you're doing this right now. Well, I was thinking like, (laughs) that's what you're doing though. (laughs) You're selling this idea. You're selling, Mm. you know, you're on tour selling books Mm -hmm. and you're staying in hotels, you know that are operated by people who aren't minimalists who like, right. you know, anyway. So yeah, I think that's part of what bothered me, but a lot of that comes down to editing too. Right. And the right. things they decided to focus yeah, on. And yeah, the absolutely. So for anyone interested in these guys and their specific, more like how to recipe or formulas for minimalism, they, their, their book uh, called essential is a collection of short essays uh, and each chapter is grouped around a theme, and then each uh, each chapter is d- 
divided into like tens of shorter essays all on hyper specific topics. A lot of how to stuff, a lot of kind of it's they're ways to like game your own psychology to to build some healthy habits if if minimalism is something you want to employ to get you mm-hmm. to the values you've identified in your life. Yeah, so the essential book, I mean their blog is just chock full of uh, fantastic writing too. So Stephen, I'm curious outside of the film and maybe in their podcast or something, have you heard of specific practices or I don't want to say tricks cuz I I really don't think what they're doing is a gimmick, but like are, are there actual how-to practices that you've heard of thus far that you want to give a try? Not from the minimalists. What I've listened to their podcasts or the episodes I have listened to have all been interviews and political stuff, which I'm just giddy about. I've really enjoyed them, but they haven't talked in a their, ton about minimalism. Yeah, in their, uh, go to like, go to their earlier episodes, like within the first 100, okay. they, it's a lot more just the two of them talking about the, again, those, those more specific how to things. But so out, outside of them, what are, what are other things that you might want to try? Honestly, the the first thing that I need to tackle is clothing. Mm. That's the biggest roadblock in my mm-hmm. in my world of of clutter. I just need to buckle down and say, okay, do I need ten pairs of pants? Mm. No. Did you find Did you find the the woman's story who started the the Project Three Thirty Three thing compelling at all? Yes and no. I, I don't think there's particular value in saying I have to make sure I have thirty three. Well, she she even Thanks. says that though. That was just an arbitrary number that she she felt like was right, radical right. enough for her to really pay attention to but the I way like she was pairing idea, outfits. But I like that idea, and I and I did actually really enjoy the fact that she was like, people have this idea that if you wear similar things on the day to day, people are going to notice. Oh yeah, and she's like, I wore th- oh, dude. a combination of thirty three items for a year, and no one yeah. ever mentioned anything. Man, I I've worn the same black sweater to work three days in a row, and no one has commented on it. And it's my favorite sweater, so I'm just going to keep wearing it because it's comfortable and it doesn't stink. <laughs> and I enough. also like I, I mentioned before, like I own six black T-shirts, and that's and that's what I wear. Like no one really ever cares. Yeah, when I heard her say that, I thought, who would comment on that? I mean, right? Like it's... I don't know. I've never lived, and I'm even from like San Francisco, you know. And I don't, I don't, I've never experienced that. In yeah, my life. right. But. I don't know, maybe. I think a lot of this and a lot of these stories that were in that documentary, not sorry to go back to that. I'll, I'll drop it eventually. Okay. But like, <laughs> but it was just kind of interesting to see sort of the, like the starting point for each person. And you kind of got a lot of insight into like mm-hmm. their own insecurities and mm. sort of their own values and the people they were surrounding themselves with. And I don't know, it, it was kind of a lot of insight into kind of maybe like the mental state they were starting at before this whole thing appealed to yeah, them. No, yeah, and then the direction they took it in. But anyway. so as far as clothing, uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Torna, because I actually do. I just, I just kind of latched onto that 33 number. And mm-hmm. since the first time I watched that documentary, which was probably three years ago, I've kept my wardrobe to 33. Like if I buy something new, I make a choice to get rid of something old. And if I throw something away, cause something got like a big rip in it or a bad hole or a, like a gnarly stain or whatever it's like i i actually manage a spreadsheet <laughs> that, that holy that tracks moly it for me i really do i just 
uh, again, the number was arbitrary to me. I'm just like, I bet I could do that. And then I just tried it. And then I found that it was fantastic. And it's like, I, I have to do one load of laundry every week and it cleans everything I wear. I probably have more than 33 different ties. <laughs> I have two. <laughs> like, look behind you, cat. I've got a box there of like my favorite ties. Wow. And there's probably like seven wow. in there. They're nice, though. They are nice. I love them. And I see you know. they bring you value. So, they, here's the, here's the thing, Stephen Torna. I know you like dressing up, right? Like right. dressing well is something you've valued ever since I met you when you were a flipping eighth grader. So right, that that's one of those things where I so I consider myself a minimalist, and maybe maybe to get away from any sour taste you have in your mouth for minimalism and some of the the cutesy stories that can come out of it. I actually more choose to brand the way I treat my material possessions as intentionalism, which just gives some positive motion to what it really represents for me. It's like, I'm, I'm, I I choose to be very intentional about what I bring into my life Mm because I understand that everything I I add bring like brings a weight to it. Like we, we know psychologically the the toll decision fatigue takes the more decisions you make to buy it's like the the more decisions you've especially spent for the day if de- if decision so, was a currency so what i'm what i'm going to say is i i'm that guy as well that absolutely values having a fucking massive library i love books and over the years i've only probably sent 10 a goodwill that I didn't like that I didn't value keeping on my shelf but that's one of those things where like a true and true like a through and through minimalist would probably be like oh you have that many books you, that's not very minimalist of you but it's like hey it's what actually adds value to my life I like running my hands mm-hmm. along the shelf and feeling all these spines and knowing I've read all these and I have note cards in them like like spelling out my takeaways like th- there's something about that externalized library of knowledge that is really satisfying to me. So it does add value. So I keep them and I feel absolutely no guilt right. about it. So now you, you, you pointed out that clothing is something that is actively bothering you. So that probably means you could probably do to get rid of 50% of it. And you honestly would not, oh, I'm thinking 70% see, and you, and you honestly would probably <laughs> never notice the difference. Like you already, you already know if I tell you, think of your three favorite shirts, you already know them. Mm-hmm. And so, so oh, like yeah. what, cause what I you value the most, all the time. <laughs> what you value the most or what you focus on determines also what you miss. It's really easy to be like, I know those are my three favorite shirts. And now because they're in the rotation, you forget that you have a whole closet full of shirts that you just don't like that much. Well, no, hundred percent. And so I'm wondering if there is some sort of material, materialistic equivalence to Dunbar's number. Dunbar's Whoa. number being the minimum amount of people that you can feasibly have like meaningful relationships with. Yeah, that's with. good. Oh. And it's like it's like 100 is it 150? Yeah. You have 150, 150 meaningful roughly. contacts. Roughly. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. Yeah, well, I know, but like <laughs> that you can recognize no no information I about was just uh, interact reading with. about this this morning in the book I'm reading for Pretty work. Pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. But at what point does in the materialistic world there must be a threshold or I would think wow. there would be a threshold. And anything beyond that only starts to take away value there it is. from other yeah. things. Yeah. I wonder if you could give it a scale. This might be a law already or I wonder if but. you could give it a scale based on, oh, man. Because I'm, I'm thinking like 
you know, having a Mac sitting here on my desk, mm-hmm. physically, that's just like a hunk of metal. But the Mac itself represents infinite potential to visit infinite potential on the internet as well as create infinite potential on a blank uh, pages right instance or Adobe Audition to edit my podcast. They're like, so I wonder if you could give it a scale where technology is weighted heavier or I wonder if that would even be valuable to try and think through that. I don't know. I I don't find value in technology like more so or I don't put more weight in technology over other belongings. Sure. My beautiful editing and gaming computer that I built, I enjoy, but I probably like my blue suede shoes better. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> they have nice stitching detail. Yeah, on them. and you it's go. like, you know, cuz I can do the same thing on this computer really that I can do on my iPad. Mm. As far as like an actual uh, information usefulness, I mean, my smartphone, yeah. really, I can get everything out of. Wow. And uh, as far as the the threshold of degrading returns, houseplants, for example, I've got four plants in my room right now, mm-hmm. and I realize that I'm probably really only capable of having three. Oh, I'll take one. There you so go. So I'm having, I'm having um, degrading returns on that one in the yellow pot there because it's not living. No, no, I love that one. The other one. Frumpy over there, Mr. Frumpy. Yeah, you know I have a hey, friend. He's sad because you call uh, him Frumpy. To, okay. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to uh, Callie Lindsay here. Yeah, she recommended some types of plants, as did you, Cat. And I was like, "Well, I bought this plant, whatever that is." And she said, "Good luck. <laughs> I've never had one make it through the winter here." Wow. It's not going to make it wow. through the winter. <laughs> I'd like to take it on I as a challenge, could, actually. Yeah. Okay, do you want to adopt yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Bring it back you to life. I know he's lost on a lot of yeah. water. I'll just um, I'll rehab it for you. That's and great. So good. Cat, Cat recently told me <laughs> that I should periodically kind of pet my plants. Yes. Rustle, rustle them up a little bit. Yeah, dust them off, give them some human touch, talk to them a little. I can't do that with Frumpy over there because <laughs> the leaves are going to fall <laughs> off. <laughs> but start yeah. with stop calling him frumpy okay this is all i'm saying <laughs> man i'll give him a new I, name that's, yeah. it sounds absolutely bizarre when you talk about plants and like giving them physical contact and whatnot but i i i partnered and i cherished my my little grape tomato plant this year and uh he and i made <laughs> we we got so many tomatoes and it was amazing I think they respond. Be nice to, to plants. You know our energy. Absolutely, they do. I a hundred percent believe they do. Definitely. Well, that's something I didn't bring up last week, but it's improved my life to have little house plants. Yeah, hundred percent. It's green. It's yep. nice. Mm-hmm. I found that having cats improves my life a lot. Casino Royale over there, Las great. Vegas, whatever you this want to call that. Wild. Yeah, there you go. I've got like a little triple mini palm tree looking nice. thing. Nice. It's a grass. It's a type of Australian grass. Okay, it's a okay, tree nerd. Grass. Nerd alert. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. I like my money tree. <laughs> yeah. Good sign. It's Very healthy. Good. Yep. Very good. <laughs> and then I like uh snake plant. I'll, yeah, I was gonna say snake something. I don't know. Snake plant. Snake plant, yeah. There it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty there cool. Is a name now. Those are hard to kill. And then uh oh, I was gonna make a bad joke in yeah. my mind. Frumpy. No, it was gonna be <laughs> worse than that. Don't be he's definitely gonna die. <laughs> I if was supposed to bring you I was supposed to bring you a clipping tonight, and I just oh. just remembered I cut it and oh. left it on my kitchen table. What, so what was it again? It's a split leaf philodendron. Philodendron. Nice. And it has roots that are probably like 
almost two feet long growing out of mm. it. Like it'll. Okay. I need you they to propagate really when you, easily. When you give it to me, I need you to explain to me like a five year old how to literally just plop it in put it some in a, dirt. Yeah. In, in some dirt. Potting okay. soil in a pot and put it in a room with, you know, decently bright light. It can mm-hmm. be indirect. It loves direct, but it can handle indirect. And um, yeah, water it once a week. Okay. Keep so soaking, that's it. This is, this is, we're, Derailed right now. Min- no, minimalist people gardening. People always say like, I can't even. I there's no way I could take care of a child because I can't even take care of a house plant. Oh, I can't take care of a house plant, but I can take care of a child. Yeah, because they're human and there's some sort of understanding. Yep. Plants, I just. How do I know when Might to water? Might as well them? be aliens. I yep. don't know. Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> you know, the interwebs tell me don't overwater it, and so I don't overwater it and then i end up underwatering it and it dies well the plants are like people they're diverse they have their own needs they need your energy and attention <laughs> there's a language to, barrier here to tune in cat <laughs> you sound very san francisco right now <laughs> oh god i know cat's <laughs> got so many nice plants and she's got all these beautiful orchids that she takes care of yeah i do love this very good I think she's going to yeah. slowly give me tons she of plants. And I, she and yeah. I talked about gardening a good bit on our No Normal People episode. That's right. Yeah. So that's another thing that I think adds a lot of value to people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to talk about the the cat's purge system a little more. Is it is there a system or is it literally just like you'll ruthlessly go and cut <laughs> excess? Um, I mean, it's a little ruthless, but... Um, I like it. Sometimes you yeah, need that energy. I, what would my system be? I mean, it's literally just kind of... If I haven't worn it in the last nine months, mm. depending on weather, it's probably not going to be worn in the next nine months. Mm-hmm. And why hold on to it? You know, um, I, I went through this process when I moved here to Montana from California because mm-hmm. there was just no way in hell I was going to bring all the crap that I had. And I ha- I mean, I had clothes from like high school still. Yeah. And so this I just, how I cut out a lot of crap. And what that literal process looked like was me like, trying on every single thing I mm-hmm. had in my mm-hmm. room for hours. And so, so you're saying I have to have a fashion show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, All right. we, oh. and it's helpful to have someone else there, yep. you yeah. know, like an objective totally. perspective to be All like, right. that I'll, looks like crap. I'm going to have to strut know. myself. There we go. Like, does this make me Steven, look hot we'll or do, not? We'll do fashion show <laughs> and Hamilton night when we come to Bozeman entry cocktails. Oh Holy moly. That's a lot for me to handle right now. <laughs> There it is. I don't know if I'm confident enough to like embrace that. <laughs> is it the actual just catwalk mm. that you're nervous about, or just like trying on so many? Yeah, clothes? I don't know. I don't know how to catwalk. Dude, We've got a nice long hallway, catwalk. but what if I trip? I mean, that could be fun. What's the worst wardrobe what's malfunction? The, what's the worst that could happen if you trip in front of two of your friends in your own damn home? What is really the worst they that could happen? <laughs> what if they tweet about me, Henry? <laughs> right, they film it. <laughs> No, no. They yeah. write about it in their journals that night. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Mm. So oh, I just, so my, my getting rid of materials process, Dixie and I keep an open, just like a, a tote box and we just keep it in like a conspicuous corner of the house or something. It's literally just the Goodwill box. And if we, if we find mm-hmm. something that we just don't need anymore, don't want anymore, and we don't want to put the time and energy into trying and selling it, then it just goes in the box. And when the box is full, we just take it to Goodwill. And actually what we've done is we've 
attached positive experience along with the donation day. So we call it our donation date. And so we'll run the stuff to Goodwill and then we'll go right across the street from Goodwill and get pancakes at IHOP. And it's amazing. Guys, can I interrupt? You guys have so many cute, like, (laughs) happy (laughs) habits. You guys are a very healthy couple. That's yeah, what I'm it's really nice. I really <laughs> like great. that. Thank you. That's that's a, another feels good. That that. But I mean, really, you can do the same really thing cool. without being Goals. married. I'm just saying, like a like ascribe right. and attach positive experience to the habit you want to encourage. So if you want to go get rid of a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. make it a celebration every time. Like every time you drop a box off at Goodwill, go get your favorite ice cream. Or something. I don't know. Like, go buy another bottle of liquor okay. for your cabinet. No, that would be a lot of liquor. I Let's feel not. like. <laughs> be like, uh, I'm gonna go today and deliver yeah. something. But uh, yeah, that's great. Another game that actually the minimalists designed. They, you start the game on the first of the month, and on the first day you get rid of one thing, and on the second day you get rid of two things. And on the third day, you get rid of three. And I'm sure you can see how the pattern is going. Right. Oh, man. And it's been a while since I've done any sort of recursive math like this. But it comes (laughs) out to like over 600 items that you would get rid of by the end of the. Well, that would make sense. It's not a. It's it's a snowball, um, right? Factorial, but. Yeah. That seems like a lot. Like who. Do I own 600 items? Dixie and I did it. Dixie and I did it twice. Yeah. We did the game twice. I bet I own. <laughs> I bet I own three thousand items. Holy it's, moly! So that that's another thing is like when I say I do the project thirty three thing for my clothes, like I don't mm-hmm. count pairs of socks or underwear. Like those those are just things you I need. Oh heck so no! Like, my underwear and sock drawers are cornucopia. That's yeah. overflowing. And it, that's I think that's a good backup thing. is yeah. good here yeah. in this. If I don't want to do laundry for three months. I won't. Yeah. <laughs> So, no, that's not so, that bad. so the same with the minimalism game is like it, 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 you can get creative with it too. So for me, like I had a whole day where I like as, as my getting rid of things day, like I just went on the 10th day, I went and unfollowed 10 Twitter accounts that were like toxic to me. So you can Dang. get very creative with it. You can, you can count all sorts of digital stuff. Like you can just like delete apps that you've never used. Or um, even if you just have like a, that weird junk drawer in the kitchen where you have like 12 pens from various banks that you don't even bank at. Like, I mean, you could count 12 of those pens and just on day 12, get rid of them. So like there's some, there's some definitely some granularity there that you could play with, but it, what the game gives to you is the habit of paying attention to it. And you know, it's just, it's easy to look at the calendar and be like, oh, it's day 15. I need to find 15 things by the end of the day to get rid of and donate or sell or whatever. So can I just uh, front load this and do 600 on day one? <laughs> yeah. Burn my house down. But, uh, the purge <laughs> system is definitely, they do another thing they call a packing party where you pack literally everything you own, pile it in the middle of your living room. And then for a month, you only unpack the things that you actively need. So Ooh, like Ryan test. Nicodemus did that. He it was his original idea. And by the end of the month, like because he only at any one point needed like one fork, one spoon, one plate, one bowl, he got rid of all his other okay. dishes and just kept the single. Okay. Now, now that's like Okay, get some friends, bud. <laughs> I will say 
And again, not to go back to the documentary, but what a thing, I, a trend I noticed with each of these self-proclaimed minimalists, nobody had any art. It's easy on to walls. take it too far, for sure. Yeah. And and yeah. so you lose yeah. just lots of value in art. You, you lose like yeah. aesthetic value when you try to be like overly religiously aesthetic, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah, like we're not trying to create a monastery cell here we're trying to create a beautiful (laughs) space in which we're inspired to do the work we want to do we're inspired to do the healthy things that we know our best selves would do and so for me minimalism or if you'd rather call it intentionalism this is exactly what it does for me it makes me very intentional about what i bring in so that i don't overshadow and overcrowd the things i've already decided are important that sounds like a very healthy approach. It does sound really, really nice. And I, I even like this idea of maybe, I don't know if sort of precipitously every day do, getting rid of more and more, mm-hmm. that might, I mean, I, I don't I don't know if I own enough to do that, nor mm-hmm. would I want to get rid of the things right, that I yeah. own. But I like the idea of maybe maybe you have a, a, a game you play where there's every month you have to get rid of 10 things mm-hmm. and they can be digital, as you said Henning, when you said unfollow 10 people on Twitter, I thought, you know, that actually doing like a house cleaning of your Instagram feed, your Twitter feed, oh, you know, everyone that should sort do that right now, by the way, super we're in healthy. a season where yeah. you should just go purge. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Well, I really like that. That's encouraging for me to be able to start Very somewhere. Good. Oh, as far as, sorry, I have one more thought. Uh, Kat, you mentioned like, I don't care about these stupid cards that I keep getting for Christmas or whatever. If you're the type of person <laughs> who does care about those kind of things, about those little sentimental items. What, what, where the sentiment comes from is not in the thing itself. It's in what mm-hmm. the thing, what it's in the memory that the thing triggers in your mind. So the sentimentality is already there in your mind. And if you only need the visual trigger to get you back to that place, to remind you of your loved ones or remind you of that Christmas where your grandparents gave you your first $20 check instead of your $10 check or whatever, you know, when you were little. Invest in a really good handheld digital scanner mm, and an external yes. hard drive, and then scan the things that you want to use as memory triggers at any time in the future. Organize it right. in an appropriate way in your hard drive so you know where you can get back to it. Maybe organize it by date or organize it by that trip you took or whatever. And uh, that way you feel free to get rid of the you know the the fridge art and yet you still have the thing that reminds you of of the moment that you found so valuable pro tip i think that's probably a fair way to manage that because i know people that have boxes and boxes of old cards yep. and that kind of stuff dresses me out i save the really good ones mm. but I o- end up often lo- there you know the few that i have kept <laughs> I ended up losing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's some there's somewhere yeah. safe <laughs> yeah well that's yeah that's encouraging that gives me somewhere to start before we head out this evening what would you prescribe i dive into this weekending what's the first thing that i should you tackle? should tackle the thing that bugs you the most so it sounds like it's your closet it sounds like it's your clothing get yep. it's like you you got to get the the ball rolling somehow so you might as well put a bunch of energy it's like it's you're overcoming static friction and we all know that i mean you and i know because we studied physics together static friction is a lot harder to overcome than kinetic friction 
So mm-hmm. get some momentum going anywhere. And I think you should, you should do it by putting a ton of energy into the thing that's actually at the front of your mind right now. Don't, don't start with the easy stuff. I know a lot of people would say start with the easy stuff because it, it builds the habit or makes you feel less bad about it. But I, your, your closet is always going to bother you until you tackle it. Beautiful. Tune in next week. We'll find out what ended up <laughs> there happening. There you go. Oh, man. Maybe I'll just become a nudist. Call it good. No there clothes. You go. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is an option, but I would, I would strongly advise you to not do so. <laughs> I, I choose to live in Montana, so it's an, an impossibility. Yeah, this yes. is, this is true. Well, I think that's a good place to end this evening. I'm excited to hopefully dive into purging some of my clutter this week. I hope anyone that is in a similar state as me might uh, be encouraged to go ahead and, you know, throw away half your pants or, you know, get rid of those mismatched socks with holes. We'll catch you all next week. Cheers. Cheers. And as the minimalists always say, love people and use things because the opposite never works. Amen. That's their tagline. That's good. Like, if you get nothing else from the documentary, that's good. I will say I like okay. that part. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> the redeeming value. value. <laughs> I'm so happy we got it back, Kat. Yes. Thank you for joining us on the Whiskey Bench. If you would do us a favor, please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about it on social media. You can join us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest, all at Whiskey Bench Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Remember, always drink responsibly and cheers to a fulfilled life with all its beauty.